You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Hey, listen, you know, uh, there are more important things than sports. And um, many live their lives kind of surrounded by these, these uh, activities that we all take so seriously. And we order our lives to give us a sense of security. And we kind of set up our lives the way we want them. But the problem is, is that security blanket that we set up for ourselves can be shattered in just a moment. And so if you think that you've ordered your life well, if you think that God couldn't or wouldn't cause your dominoes to fall, maybe take a second look at God and see what he is willing to do, the distance he's willing to go to show you how much he loves you and how big he really is. And sometimes it's really painful when that happens. But he wants to show you that he loves you, that he can save you. And at the other end of that pain is freedom. It's freedom from the ravages of sin, freedom from ourselves, freedom to love God in a deep and wonderful way. But in order for that to happen, what we're going to learn this morning is that the tree of pride in your life has to fall. God has to cut it down. Because we all walk around with arrogance. We all have pride. We all want to do things our own way. But after that tree is cut down and we give ourselves to God, and then we can find joy in who he is. And that really is the power that comes with painful repentance. And so we're going to study that this morning. If you have your phone, your Bible, your tablet, whatever you might have, just if you would turn to Daniel 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 4, and if you want to use that Bible and the seat back in front of you, you can turn to page 740. So it's Daniel 4, beginning in verse 4. And as we thread our way through this section of the narrative, we see this, this Babylonian king who's quite pleased with what he's been able to accomplish in his life. He's ordered his life around it. It's his security blanket, but God is about to bring him to his knees, to show him the rewards of a new life that comes through painful repentance. So let's begin in verse 4. The king has another dream, and it scares him. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. So another dream for the king. And as we study this incredible narrative, we've called the series Faithful because it surrounds this man, Daniel, who's incredibly faithful to God. Here's a young man who was deported from his homeland in Judah, southern Israel, to Babylon. And the king wanted to assimilate he and his friends into Babylonian culture and kind of rip him away from his background and the God that he served so well but he said, no, we're not doing that. His friends survived a trip to the fiery furnace. 
And he had already interpreted one dream. Not only did he interpret the dream, but he recited the dream back to the king before the king had even told him the dream. And so Daniel is this faithful witness for God in the midst of all of this. But as this package of verses unfold, we notice that Nebuchadnezzar is under the impression that he is, he is sovereign over his own future, that he's in control, that all of his achieve, achievements will protect him. But here's the first point I want to make, because we can learn so much from this man and from the actions of Daniel. It's easy to be deceived regarding the state of your life. It really is. We can all easily deceive ourselves into thinking that we're good to go. We've got everything under control. We have nothing to worry about. And in a very real sense, what's happening to the king here can happen to us. He is spiritually asleep. The text says it. He was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. What did he have to worry about? He was the king of the world. You notice here that the language is now switched to the first person. I, Nebuchadnezzar. But it's still very much the words of Daniel. And what he's doing as a literary device here is he's trying to make this come alive to his, Jude, his Jewish audience in order to give the king his own voice. And what we see is an overconfident man who is about to meet God in a painful way, but, but a productive way. And so... Here's, here's what surprises me, really, when you read this. It's been decades since that first dream. And you would have thought that the king would have learned something. At least to trust Daniel. But he hadn't really learned all that much. Because now, in the second dream, instead of calling in Daniel, he goes back to the pattern he was used to. He calls in the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, who were kind of a, a group of sorcerers, and the astrologers. And that's surprising because these people were worthless to him the first time around. They, didn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't recite the dream back to him. But he goes right back to this comfortable place of calling in the so-called wise men. And obviously he's troubled here. He, he's had this dream. And though he didn't know the details of the dream, he knew enough to know that it meant trouble for his kingdom. And so he needed help. He needed someone to decipher it for him. But he, he forsook the one that he had relied on before, and that's Daniel. And sometimes we do the same thing. We, we, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that our lives are good. You know, I got money in the bank. I've got a great family. My job, secure. And if we want to tell ourselves that, that's fine. But really, security outside of God is a myth anyway. But the king doesn't seem to be taking this very seriously. And so, he really fell for a lie. And I just want to counsel you, don't follow in his footsteps. Repent of your sin when it comes time to. If you are pridefully walking through life, thinking that you're in control of your own ship, your own destiny, don't wait for God to have to put you through what we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar go through. Trust him enough to fall on your knees and give yourself to him. So, finally, 
Here we are now after the first group of wise men had come and gone. Once again, failing the king, he called on Daniel. Look at verses 8 and 9. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar. Remember, the king gave him that name in order to align with his false gods. After the name of my God, he says. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. He, he knew something was special about Daniel, but he attributed it to these false gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So there's really two things that stick out at me here. The first is the king obviously trusted Daniel. The term here, chief of magicians, signifies the fact that he saw Daniel as wisest of all. Why he didn't call on him first, I don't know. But that really means something. And secondly, the king seemed to be afraid of what he might hear. He aligned Daniel with his God in order to try and gain favor with these false gods. And so he knew that there was something in the air that was not good for him, not good for his kingdom, but he couldn't quite decipher the details. Those of you who have grown up in Minnesota know what it's like when you wake up on a summer day and you walk outside and you can just tell that this would be a good day to keep your eye on the sky. Or maybe you're camping or fishing and all of a sudden everything just gets still and quiet. And you start going, uh-oh, we better pay attention. There's a foreboding that kind of comes over that. That's what was happening here. The king knew that God was up to something or somebody was up to something. He thought he could protect himself under the wing of these pagan gods, but what foolishness that was. But not only is it easy to deceive ourselves regarding the state of our lives, it's also easy to be deceived regarding where to find security when you're afraid. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was up to now. He was making the mistake of going to the wrong places. And it's easy just to scoff at him and say, well, you know, if that would have been me, I would have done better. But we do the same thing. When we start to lose traction, when our lives begin to get shaky, when, when something major changes, it's only human nature, I think, to run to what's comfortable, even if it's not helpful, or even if it's destructive. It's very much like the king calling in those wise men, worthless, but they were comfortable. And you know, for me, when I get in situations like this, I have my own patterns that I go to. I usually start with self-condemnation. Well, Paul, you know, you wouldn't be in this situation if you weren't so whatever terms you want to put to it. My self-talk is very condemning. Or I get angry, and I start blaming everyone else. Well, if this wouldn't have happened, or if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't be in this situation. Sometimes I just stay busy, so I don't even have to think about it. Those are my strategies that are not at all helpful and many times sinful, but they're comfortable. They're like a warm blanket. It feels good, but it's not helpful. Others run to pornography or alcohol and drugs, or some people just ignore it altogether. Hey, it'll go away. Don't worry. 
But what God's calling us to do in these situations is to not go to these things. He's calling us to go to Him. He's summoning us into a deeper relationship with Him. And so if you feel like in your own life that, that security is slipping away, run to God. He loves you. He cares for you. He has His arms open wide for you. After all, He loves you enough to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on a cross for sins that He never committed, our sins. And there He atoned for sin. And He did that because He loves you. And the Father came up with that redemptive plan because He loves you. And so that when you put your faith in Jesus, then you can find true security. Because when you become a child of God, you are then eternally secure. And and back in Babylon, while the the king was stumbling around trying to get his bearings, the Lord was about to cut the foundations right out from under him. And and just like the first time, he used a dream to do that, and it was going to be painful. But let's look at the the dream and see why it's important. It's It's not only just important to Daniel or the king, it's important to us. And so if you look at verses 10 through 18 here, we can take a look at this dream and we can begin to understand why the king was on edge. Verse 10, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches. All flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But, verse 15, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. And the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. And sets over it the lowliest of men. Now that's pretty cryptic. Kind of strange when you first read it, so let's unpack it. First of all, the the size of the tree is really important to this whole idea. And the tree that the king may have had in his mind are the great cedars of Lebanon. He would have been familiar with them. These are huge trees that are all throughout the Bible, used in building. David references them. Many cultures use them to build ships and so forth. They're huge. And we don't know if this is the exact tree, but he certainly would have been familiar with this. And it would have done all of the things the dream said that the tree could do. 
And so the tree would provide shelter. And the Holy One, the Watcher, would have been familiar to the Jewish audience as an angel. So an angel is in the picture too. But then, what happens? All of a sudden, things turn dark. You have this kind of flowery description. Everybody's happy. They're all living under the tree together. And all of a sudden, the Holy One, the Watcher, shows up. Cut it down. Chop it down. Lop off the branches. It's over. And so what we learn, I think, from this is that when God decides to work, he does it decisively. He's not messing around. Daniel knew the meaning of the dream, and it was so bad, he didn't want to tell the king. And it wasn't because he was afraid, but he genuinely didn't want the king to be hurt. And if you look at what Daniel says, we can understand why. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar, Daniel, answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. In other words, I don't want this dream to be for you. Daniel was one of the rare breed of people that we desperately need right now who could look at a king who he was in captivity of, who had thrown his friends in a furnace, who he deeply disagreed with on pretty much everything, I'm guessing, but he still cared about him. He didn't want to hurt his feelings. And so often in our culture, we just take people, whether they're on the political other side of the aisle or the moral other side of the aisle, and we lop them into a group and say, these people, and we throw them to the side of the road. I'm so glad God doesn't do that to us. Because I'm going to guess that God doesn't agree with us on everything. And isn't it, isn't it refreshing to see someone who can look at a king like that and go, yeah, I still care about you. And you know what? When you're in your neighborhood, when you're at school, when you're at work, people are going to react to you caring about them. You don't have to agree with them on anything. But as Jesus' followers, that's how you shine a light. That's how you bring Jesus with you where you go. And Daniel was that kind of a man. And it's pretty impressive because this king was not a nice person. And so the dream happened, and I'm just going to give you a real brief summary here of the dream. First of all, the tree denoted the king and his vast empire. It was huge. It was the largest empire on earth. Massive. Then his kingdom would be cut down. It would be scattered. It would be no more. And in just a week or two, we're going to get to that happening. And then, as we continue to look at the dream, Nebuchadnezzar would live like an animal for seven years. This is where the painful part of the, the, the repentance comes. He was going to go mad. He was going to live like an animal. He was going to be treated like an animal. But there's grace. And with God, there's always grace. His kingdom would be restored back to him. And we see this in the language that's used here. And Daniel gives him a warning in verse 27. Therefore, O king, 
Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So just get the picture here. Here's God with the most evil man on the planet, with the most power on the planet, saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to cut your kingdom apart, but I'm going to give you every chance. I'm going to send this faithful man, Daniel, to you. And Daniel's saying, if you just do this, you can perhaps lengthen your prosperity. But the king didn't heed it. And 12 months later, we see the king still marveling in his own glory, taking credit for everything good around him, and then God struck. Look at verses 28 through 31. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Uh Uh-oh. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And then it was trouble. And what a terrible situation he put himself in. He deceived himself into thinking that all this power and might and his own cunning could somehow keep him safe. But when God decided that the time was right, it was gone. When he had an opportunity to try to learn what was going on, he didn't go to Daniel, the representative of God in this narrative. He went to the representatives of the enemy. He called in the sorcerers. They were not helpful, but they were certainly comfortable. And now he's ignored the dream, and he's going to experience this painful repentance. And so for for you and me, when, when God calls you to repent, please listen and do what he's asked you to do. Don't go this route. Don't make God chase you like this. And it's really interesting because it's not like the king didn't have something to be proud of. I mean, this was a magnificent kingdom. I don't know if these uh, pictures here are going to be helpful for you, but these are an aerial view of the remains of Babylon, which is just south of Baghdad in Iraq. Some of these walls here have kind of been rebuilt from the original ruins. This was the palace area right here. It's a very, very large area. Over here is the famous Ishtar Gate, which has been rebuilt. Very, very beautiful. Down here, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is a, a, a pathway or a road that still has the original pavement there. So Daniel would have walked on that road. But it was, it, it was a magnificent city. And this image shows what it may have looked like during its heyday. Spectacular. And, and you can imagine here along the Euphrates River, in the middle of this desert, this magnificent city rising up And the king walking on the palace, and he's saying, yeah, this is all mine. I did this. 
And it's so easy to do that when, when something good happens or you accomplish something. It's so good to take credit for it. But then it's not good to take credit for it because God wants your heart and pride gets in the way. And so what happened here is the king lived like an animal for seven years. But in the midst of the turmoil, in the dream was grace. The stump, and who would have thought this would be a key word, the stump stayed in the ground. What did that mean? That meant that his kingdom would be restored to him. So God's grace shines through. I want you to see this change of heart now that the king has in verses 34 through 37. He goes through this painful seven years. He's humiliated. He acts and and lives as an animal. He goes completely mad. Then in verse 34, we see him come out the other side. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord sought me. I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I mean, this is a shocking turnaround. But look what he had to go through. God had to take him through this horrific episode. And those words at the end, he just lived that. And and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And so here's, here's a king that was full of pride. And he'd had this dream Decades before, now he has another dream. He ignores all of the warnings, but through this process of painful repentance, he now had a relationship with God. And I read a lot of commentaries with one question on my mind. Did Nebuchadnezzar come to faith in Yahweh through this, through the true God of Israel? And, and, and the commentators were all in agreement, yes. This was probably a real conversion. And so God had enough grace to see this king and to take him through his own personal hell. And then he came out and knew who God was. And so I have a question for you this morning. And it's very simple. Is God calling you to repent of sin in your life? For for Nebuchadnezzar, the overarching sin was pride. And pride really is the root of all sin. But what about for you? Is it spiritual laziness? Is it unforgiveness? Is there somebody that you just haven't forgiven? Is it anger? Is it gossip? Gossip is a terrible sin. Is it rebellion? Is it sexual immorality? You see, Nebuchadnezzar may very well have become a true follower of God, 
But in order to see these sins in his own life, God had to get a hold of him and take away his pride and his arrogance. And sometimes this is the case with churches too. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, when he was just unsteady and he knew something bad was about to happen, he ran back to his old habits. And sometimes as churches, we come into this place where we're not quite sure of our future. We have plans, but you know, we don't know how it's all going to work out. So instead of just forging ahead and trusting God, it's easy to say, well, let's just go back to the way we've always done it. Let's go make the church the way it once was. The problem is, as time has moved on, God is calling us to future, not the past. And what he's doing is, is he's saying, why don't you just follow me? And so what is it in your life that's keeping you from, from seeing God the way Nebuchadnezzar did at the end? Because Daniel was faithful. Daniel faithfully told him the dream and God faithfully saved this terrible king and so it comes down really to repentance and submission the hardest things for a human being to do because we want to control our own destiny and so what I'm asking you to do is to think through your own life and what is that tree of pride that God is going to need to cut down in order to get all of you And here's why he wants all of you. He doesn't want all of you because he's mean, because he wants to kill your joy. He doesn't want all of you because he's some kind of a a, a dictator. He wants all of you because he can give you true life. And when you're grabbing onto your own stuff, you're pushing him aside and he's saying, why are you doing this? I'm the one that can give you life. I can fill you up. And so he's calling you right now to give all of yourself to him. So why don't you just take a moment in the quietness of your own heart and your own spirit and just ask God, what do you want me to do? What what is this thing in my life that you want me to give to you? Is there anything, God? Maybe something's really obvious. Maybe you just need to wait on him. But just take a moment and do that and then I'll close in prayer. I thank you for the grace that's seen even when we are taken through times of terrible pain and trouble and turmoil and when we're being disciplined for our own sin. God, your grace is still there. You are still there. And in fact, that discipline in those hard times are a measure of your grace because what you're doing is you're calling us to yourself. You have often in my life called me back to you. You have often said, I don't want you to go over there. I want you to come over here. And there's pain involved with that. But I'm so thankful, God, that you have sought fit to not give up on me. Saw fit to inflict what I needed to get back on track. And so, God, I pray that you would do for each person here that marvelous work in our hearts that can free, that can bring hope, that can bring new purpose and can help understand the depth of who you really are so that we aren't tempted 
to go to the old ways and instead are enticed to continue to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.